the next level. <laughs> you killed the wolf. Well, there's no crime in that, is there? The wolf was Balaam. You think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Bela became a wolf and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet or a silver knife or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you I killed a wolf, a plain ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell, pentagram, wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm gonna get out of here. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Wear this charm over your heart, always. All right, all right, I'll take it. What's it worth to you? I'll give you... to show me the wound? What? Do you dare to show me the wound? Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio. Hold on a second. Wait, let's back it up just a little bit. I have to make commentary about something and then we'll move on. First image has appeared online. Yes, okay, so couple months back or so, I believe I talked about how Rob Zombie was adapting his own version of The Monsters. TV show, he grew up with as a child, he loves it very much, he wants to make his own. Okay, that's fine. So, he has now put online, through, I believe Instagram was the first one to get it, he put this image of the house that he's using, and the three main characters being Herman, Lily, and Grandpa. And of course, the internet typically did what it always does. It complained about his wife. Oh my god, Cherry Moon Zombie is in another Rob Zombie's movies. Why can't he cast a real actress? Blah, 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 blah. You get the point. Here's my thing, and I know I've even said it on this show eh, a little while back. I admit, I'm a bit skeptical about Sherry playing the role of Lily because I don't know if she can do it. But I'm still going to give it a chance. I mean, there's been nothing that's been said that this is an R-rated version. So... Maybe Rob is going for a PG version or a G version. Maybe it's going to be a family-friendly movie, which would be a first for Rob. But hey, I mean, maybe he's trying to expand his horizons a little. I mean, and if not, and this does end up being some R-rated 
trash heap, well, then I can choose to ignore it like I can any other bad film that I choose to ignore. Blair Witch Book of Shadows, I'm looking at you. Ha. But I'm pretty sure the Blair Witch is ignoring me too, so all is mutual. But yeah, so you know what? I mean, I get it. We complain. We don't, you know, we don't like Sherry Moon. Oh, she can't act. She can't this. She can't. Whatever. If you don't like it, don't watch it. But I mean, to be fair, it looks like Rob is trying to have fun with this. I mean, Jeff, who is it? Jeff Daniel Phillips is playing Herman. And the look is kind of campy, but I think that's what Rob is going for. So, I mean, he's trying, from what it seems, and I mean, this is one image online, but from what it seems like, Rob is trying to stay within the camp um, aesthetic or the camp feeling of the original. So, I'm willing to give it a shot. Again, yes, I, along with Barry, uh, everyone else out there, I totally get the skepticism between Sherry Moon playing Lily. Lily is a very iconic character, and I get that. But I'm willing to at least give it a chance because this is something that Rob Zombie is very passionate about. I know, and people would say, well, he says that about all his movies. Yes, he does, but let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. If he fucks this up, okay, well then, you know, even I will put my own foot in my mouth and say, my fault, my bad, I gave him a chance I shouldn't have. But anyways... You guys give this podcast a chance, so, I mean, maybe you're to blame. No, I'm kidding. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. Even if a podcaster's heart is pure and the moon is nowhere to be seen behind all the smog, pollution, and disease. Well, the show must go on. Welcome, unfortunately, back to What Lurks lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. And I am your Horrorwood host, Postmortem Paul. This week, the show is all about gypsies and curses and pentagrams, 1940s stalkers, and 2021's album of the year, and maybe a slasher review or two in there somewhere. Anyways, welcome to episode 107. This week, from 1941, we'll be looking at The Wolf Man. But before we get into that, alright, so... Ah, I have not... Okay, I'm a huge music fan, you guys know this. You, you listen to this show every week, as a matter of fact, one of the main points I always look at when reviewing movies is the score, the soundtrack, the music. Well... I don't think I have been this obsessed or this excited about an album since 2005 when Nine Inch Nails released Year Zero. But Friday night, well, it was like Thursday night, Friday morning. Let's say Friday midnight. I couldn't access my digital download from work, but I could access Spotify from work. And right at 12 o'clock, Ice Nine Kills, Welcome to Horror Wood, the Silver Scream 2 was released. It's 13 tracks with an intro track, so technically 14. Um, I have, (laughs) with the exception of a little bit where I've been listening to the uh, Halloween Kills soundtrack, I'm not going to lie, I probably have listened to the new Ice Nine Kills album at least two dozen times if not more like it's 
when I'm at work, it's been on repeat for the full eight hours I'm at work. <laughs> it's just, I apologize to anyone around me. Um, but yeah, this, three years ago, The Silver Scream came out, the first horror movie related album that they did. And three years later, I can still play that album from beginning to end with no issue at all. I Songs one through 13 in a row, nonstop. And I can do it on repeat. It's very easy to do. Three years later from now, I'm expecting I'll probably be able to do that with this album, The Silver Scream 2. You have songs about... like here's, here's the lineup of movies that they wrote songs about. You have Cabin Fever, Child's Play, Psycho, Pet Cemetery, Resident Evil, American Psycho, My Bloody Valentine, which that song is fucking amazing. Hellraiser, The Fly, Hostel, The Evil Dead, and Candyman. And there's also one original song called Welcome to Horrorwood. They say it's not based on any movie, but there are, there is a lot of hints or moments in the song that seem to harken back to Scream 2 and Scream 3. I keep getting this Scream feeling from it. Um, it's a great little concept album it's supposed to be the whole thing is is that these songs are a symbolization or related to the death of spencer's 28 year old fiance um nadia who's basically been in every single video and he's killed in every single video um but yeah like it this the album is fucking amazing like and like I said, like the last time I was this obsessed with an album to the point where I couldn't stop playing it, I was learning all the lyrics and singing with it all the time and just completely obsessed with it, was Nine Inch Nails Year Zero back in 2005. I haven't been this obsessed over a record since. Like, And I mean, there's been a lot of great albums that have come out. You guys have heard me talk about many of them on this show, you know, over the course of the last, what, two, three years. But this one came out. I have to admit it couldn't have come at a better time because sort of dealing with some issues that I'm not going to talk about on this show. But it's been nice to have this as sort of like a break from all the stress and all the bullshit that I sometimes am forced to deal with. And it's just been nice to just like even like, okay, like I have the digital version because I bought the vinyl, right? And the vinyl's been delayed till December. That sucks, but whatever. It is what it is. But because of that the digital version that they offered is the deluxe so we also have two bonus tracks plus then a third um spoken word from spencer basically but the two bonus tracks are more or less um orchestral versions of two songs on the album which is kind of what you're hearing playing in the background (laughs) as i've been talking about it but uh yeah i kind of forget where i was going with this but whatever um (laughs) (laughs) this album does that like it just whisks me off into another world um which i think more was was more or less where i was going with it is that it's just it's just taken me away from all the bullshit it's been so awesome to listen to and to have in my life and whatnot i current faves if i have and trust me this is not easy to do but i think the current favorite tracks that i've played a lot like very consistently uh funeral derangements that's the pet cemetery song Take Your Pick, which is the My Bloody Valentine song. Hip To Be Scared, which is the American Psycho song. And I might add, is a lot of fun to sing with. Uh, FLY, which is a song about the fly. And Ex Mortis, which is about the Evil Dead. 
But I mean, honestly, the whole goddamn album is just amazing. Uh, <laughs> this is one sequel that doesn't disappoint. If I had to give it a rating, it's 10 out of 10. It's that simple. Now, let's talk about another sequel that apparently has somewhat disappointed some people. Halloween Kills! Okay, non-spoilery. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil shit because I know it just came out. And people are seeing it. It had number one box office uh, movie for the weekend. Now, this isn't including all the streaming online. <laughs> they say streaming on Peacock service. Uh, let's face it, that's not the only way people are streaming it. But... um. I will spoil nothing. I will say I will, I will say nothing to the plot or the story or anything, but I will say this. This movie, in my opinion, is really awesome. And that's keeping in mind that Halloween 2018 took a bit to grow on me. Um, I wasn't completely blown away when I first saw it. You guys know that. As a matter of fact, way back a couple, what was it, two, three years ago when I did... In October, I did a Halloween review where I compared the 1978 to the 2018 movie because the 2018 movie was supposed to be a direct sequel to the original. I had my complaints. I still have my complaints about the 2018 movie, but I will say that it's grown on me. I've kind of come to appreciate what it is. I've, I've come to appreciate it for what it is, basically. And so knowing the direction that these sequels are going and what what David Gordon Green and Jason Blum are trying to do with these movies, I was prepared for this one. And because of that, it did not disappoint me. Now, the interesting thing is, is there is quite a shitload of negativity coming from the internet, as usual, about this movie. Not that it comes as a shock to me. I expected it. I knew there were going to be people that would complain. The thing is, is that this one is a lot like the 2018 Halloween movie. So, if you saw that 2018 film and you didn't like it, why would you watch this one? It's more of the same thing. Now, I mean, we had the, like I said last week, we had the one dude that was petitioning, you know, oh, take the firefighter scene out. Yeah, blow yourself, okay? <laughs> like, seriously. Because um, that scene, I'm not going to lie, that was actually a lot of fun to watch. Quite brutal. Uh, Michael is extremely pissed off. <laughs> That's one thing about this movie. Uh, just recently, I saw an article tonight, of course, Screen Rant, but whatever, um, about that Michael is homophobic because he he kills gay people. I know I said I wouldn't spoil anything, but whatever. The thing is, is that without spoiling anything, let's put it this way. Michael has no discretion, okay? He is not going to discriminate one bit. He kills to kill. He doesn't care what color you are, what you know, age you are, what sex you are, what sexual orientation you are. He doesn't care. He's pissed off. He's going to fucking kill. That's why the movie is called Halloween Kills. The thing is, is it's a stupid little slasher flick. I, I, I sort of wonder if people listen to themselves. Especially these people that are, are like, you know, the I love the 80s slashers. Okay, well, that's what this is. Essentially, this is a fucking 80s slasher flick. Michael's a little bit more brutal than normal. But then again, that was the direction they were trying to, you know, relay to us with the 2018 film. It's what took me by, it took me off guard, like, it had me basically off guard. You know, the first time I watched it and it was like, that's not Michael. But then I realized what they were trying to do. Their, their whole thing is, is that 
they're ignoring all the sequels that we've had prior to. So all we know is that Michael killed in 1978 and 40 years later he comes out of this insane asylum. We're also seeing that there's different variables leading to this version of Michael Myers. That's why he's more brutal. Um, but again, it's a slasher flick. It's a killer going out, killing people. What did you expect from this fucking movie? Yeah, I know there's some stupid scenes in it that even I was sitting there going, I don't know about this. <laughs> but I mean, whatever. It's just stupid fun. It's Michael Myers doing what Michael Myers does to a John Carpenter score. Well, John, Cody, and, you know, uh, Daniel Davies. It, it's just, it's a fun, stupid little Halloween movie. Let's enjoy it for what it is. I mean, for me personally, I still think the ultimate sequel to the first Halloween was Halloween 3. And I know a lot of people are like, are you out of your fucking mind? Maybe. <laughs> You've been listening to this show long enough. You should know. Um, I, I I don't know. I like this movie. I know I'm also going to comment quickly on the fact that I know a lot of people are back to doing the theater thing. And that's cool. I have nothing against that. Myself, personally, even before... Before this whole cough cough started, I was never a fan of movie theaters. If I ever went to the theater, it was like at the 11 o'clock in the morning showing or the 1 o'clock in the afternoon showing. Why? Because everybody was at work and in school and I had no one in the theater with me because I don't like interruptions. I don't like people getting up. I don't like people talking. I don't like people laughing. Shut the fuck up. I'm trying to watch the movie. <laughs> and that's just the way I am. So I'm glad that this one was released online. I know that there were some people who are like, well, I need a big screen. Okay, hey, you know what? More power to you. I'm not knocking you for it. But people that looked at me weird, like I was like, well, I'm, I'm so glad I get to watch it in the comfort of my own home. And people were like, oh, how, how could you not want to see it in the theater? No, I was never a theater guy to begin with. Uh, to be fair, I really haven't had anyone question me on it except maybe one person. And that was about it. And I don't care. Uh, <laughs> As for this movie, look, I, I will I will just say she's a dandy. You got to give it a chance, but go into it with the right mentality. It's a slasher flick. Stupid, killer, killing, people, movie. End of story. Something else that has sort of embraced its stupidity, and we love it for it. Chucky has his own TV series. Yes, on Sci-Fi and USA Network or other ways. Um... The first episode, we've only had the first episode so far, uh, as you will receive this episode of the podcast, uh, second episode of Chucky will be airing tonight. But the first one, I'm not going to lie, was a hoot, the pilot episode. I thought it was a lot of fun, especially the second half. Uh, if you've seen it, you know there is a talent show <laughs> scene in it, and uh, my god, thank you for that. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, this won't be a show for everyone. I'm going to put that out there right now. It, It's definitely a show for me. I loved what I got. I know that some people are not going to like either the direction that they're going with with Chucky. Or some people may not like the main actor for reasons. Let's say that. Um, I, for me personally, I feel like the goal in this series at least from what we're seeing early on is to make chucky more of an anti-villain uh and i'm okay with this i mean <laughs> i'm not gonna lie that first episode there's definitely some weird shit in the first several minutes of the episode uh, i was like 
all right, this is new, especially um, if you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say doll statue. That was fucked up. <laughs> it was like, this kid's not normal. Um, but I loved him for it. I thought it was great. Uh, and again, like I say, like, I'm okay with all this. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Okay. Let's really look at the Chucky series for what it is. And this includes the first film. I know everyone always says, Oh, I want the Chucky from the first film. Think about this for, for a minute. Okay. We have a series of films, including that first one that has this wild concept out there that a two foot tall demonic doll is making people his bitch. See what I did with that? If you're familiar with Welcome to Horrorwood, you know where I just went with that. But anyways, this doll is walking around killing people, maiming people, using a voodoo doll to break some legs. You know, he he's out there causing a complete menace. Two foot tall doll. Think about this for a second. And we accept it. We love it. Okay. And it's crazy. It's wild. Just go with it. That's what this show has basically done. It has embraced the oddness, the weirdness, the 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 crazy shit, and the the wild idea that there is some voodoo master who has put his soul. He's a serial killer. He's put his soul into this doll. I mean, quite honestly, how much more fiction? How much more of a fictional show do you really want? And then you're sitting here going, yeah. I, I don't know if I like what they're doing with the TV series. I want them to go back to the original one. The Wait, what? I mean, to be fair, everybody bitches about the, the remake that they did where, like, Chucky was basically an AI. Um, you know, and he was a buddy doll, not a good guy doll and stuff like that. Mark Hamill tried to do something with it. And, I mean, to be completely honest, it wasn't the worst thing I'd ever seen. I know a lot of people really rip on that remake, but... Again, a doll that terrorizes a kid in his family and his neighborhood and everyone else that comes into contact with him. Think about this for a minute. We're okay with the Puppet Master films, apparently. Like, those are okay, right? They're fucking stupid. They, fuck, they've got the, the, the Puppet Master films. They got them dealing with, what, fucking Nazis and Third Reich and all this other weird shit. And nobody's batting an eye about those. Oh, I know, because, you know, they're full moon features. They're fucking stupid. It's not universal. Um... Today's movie that I'll be talking about is a universal movie that came from uh, a, a, a universe of characters that are all fictional, and we were okay with this. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know why people are complaining. It, but like I said, it, for me, this show works. I like what they're doing. I like the humor. I like the grasping of the just batshit wildness. There was a cameo that was very slyly hidden in that episode that I really liked. Um, and we do know that there will be more of these cameos and these characters returning from the universe of the Chucky verse. If you want to call it that I'm all right with it. I say it looks great. I'm going to move on because I don't want to go into a super long rant about things that made me angry more so with fan reactions than anything else. Because finally, I quickly want to do something. Okay, last year, I did an episode that was specifically about the DC fandom. This year, I'm not going to do that. But I do want to say something. Um, because the DC fandom uh, happened this past weekend. And 
I'm pretty sure most of you saw it. If you haven't, look it up. The latest trailer for Matt Reeves' The Batman. Fucking amazing. And I know, we're going to hear Twinkle Twilight jokes for the rest of this man's career. I, I get it. They're never going to cease. Whatever. There's too many Chuckle McChucksters out there that think, Hey, look at me. I can make a smart-ass comment and get likes and shares on my comment. Good for you, but my bloody Valentine, what a gorgeous thing this movie is looking out to be. And I even saw comments where people were like, Well, Batman looks too small. He's supposed to be like a year one or year two Batman. He's not fully bulked out yet. What the fuck? Calm your fucking tits, okay? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Colin Farrell as Penguin looks amazing. And this is coming from me. If any of you know me, you know I cannot stand Colin Farrell. I've never liked him as an actor. I don't like anything he's in. Aside from, like, even at that, I mean, it's not the greatest movie, but I do like the Daredevil movie to an extent. If we're talking director's cut, you're talking theatrical. No, fuck that shit. But I do like the director's cut, but even that, that's a stretch. But I mean, Colin Farrell as Bullseye drove me fucking nuts. It was Kingpin that sold that movie for me. And maybe Affleck a little bit, a little bit, but he really wasn't that good in it. Um, but I mean, it's like, I, I just, I wish the jokes would stop and we just accept this for what it is because it looks like it's fixing to be a, a an amazing film. And not to mention, I mean, Matt Reeves has done some good work. He gave us Cloverfield, which was fucking great. He gave us those uh, Planet of the Apes films that were all freaking awesome. Give the guy a chance. I think I think this is going to be the one that rivals that Dark Knight series. I know, and trust me, I love the fucking Dark Knight films, especially Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. The third one I have a, a soft spot for, but it's, you know, Bane, uh, whatever. But um, I think this might rival those Nolan films. I really do. I think it it looks good. Uh, a few other good things that came from DC Fandom really quickly. Uh, the video games. Uh, Gotham Knights and the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League uh, both look really interesting. They look a lot of fun. I know I read some some people are a little upset about the fact that Gotham Knights is not actually tied to the Arkhamverse that you know was created with the other four games uh, being Origins, Asylum, City, and Night. I kind of I'm I'm okay with them doing something different. Um it's kind of weird that, you know, we're, we're starting off this series with Batman being dead, but I honestly don't think he's dead. I think he's in hiding, and I think by the end of the game, there will be the reveal that Batman comes back. Um, the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. From what I've heard through rumors, that one is attached to the Arkhamverse. That's kind of weird, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, it did look kind of fun from what we saw. And then there was also um, a quick teaser trailer for DC Super Pets. That's the uh, animated movie they're making with Ace and um, Crypto. And the voice actors in that are Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson. Mm, Alright. Them two seem to work well off each other, so I can see this kind of working. Uh, we didn't see much of it. It's more or less they have, like, it says, like, Super Pet. 
and it's you know crypto talking like oh great a movie about me and then ace comes along and brings the extra s and says you're not the only pet in the universe and all this stuff and i mean it was kind of cute it was kind of funny it looks like it's going to be like a hokey little kids movie which is fine it could still be very it still could be a really cute movie and a lot of fun so i'm willing to give it a, sh- a, a, a chance a shot whatever you want to say i okay so and then there's two other things that i kind of quickly want to talk about one being the flash his movie it's pretty sad when the main character of the movie isn't even the selling point because let's face it we saw that trailer everybody wigged out about something other than the flash and i mean as at one point in that trailer we see three flashes (laughs) i mean i'm pretty sure there's like impulse and um kid flash and whatnot but what uh, the thing is is that what did we rave about keaton michael keaton we know he's batman we see the cowl we hear his voice we hear the danny elfman like score we it's batman it's 89 batman it's the aesthetic it's the feel it's the sound it's the oh shit you know what was underneath that sheet you know it was the fucking car we know it it was the batmobile um Ezra Miller who? Because honestly, nobody cared about the Flash. Nobody cared about Ezra Miller or the two kid Flashes behind him. Nobody gave a shit. It was all Keaton. It was all Batman. And as much as I'm really looking forward to that movie, I'm looking forward to it for other reasons other than the Flash. And that's sad because actually Ezra Miller's not a bad Flash. He really isn't. He was he's one of the better points of the Snyder films. I mean, he he brought the comic relief and he did it pretty much flawlessly, but it's all Keaton. <laughs> like really, that's all we were worried about. And then there's the other one, Aquaman two. We see some of Aquaman two more. So it's, it's a behind the scenes kind of thing. We see Jason Momoa talking. We see, uh, James Wan is definitely excited about this film. Uh, we see Willem Dafoe, we see Patrick Wilson, and we kind of see really, really quick glimpses of Amber Heard, and apparently that was all anyone gave a shit about. Whatever. I mean, I know, there's like this huge boycott, oh my god, if she's in this movie, I'm not gonna fucking go see it. Okay, well, whatever, it's your loss, because I know I'm checking it out. When it comes out, I think, it, what'd they say, December 2022? Uh, I plan on checking it out. I, I don't know. And I've said this before on the show. I don't know Amber Heard. I don't know Johnny Depp. Okay. I don't know what the story is. I don't fucking care. I, we've made this huge big deal in the media about two people squabbling over their love life. You know what? Fucking get over it. it and I understand. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Oh my God. There was domestic abuse and this and that. Okay. But let them fucking deal with it. Because none of us were a part of it. I don't know what happened. I wasn't at their house when supposedly she cut part of his finger off and he punched her in the face or whatever the story is. I don't know. I don't care. Um, but that was the thing was you're watching this this featurette and you have Jason Momoa has got this huge smile on his face. He's super excited to be, you know, Arthur Curry again. And he's excited to do this movie. And James Wan is just like, in his glories, he's like, oh my god, I can't wait till you guys all see this. And Patrick Wilson's excited, Willem Dafoe's excited. And what are we worried about? The two fucking seconds in the whole three and a half minute video, because 
Well, at least they kept Amber Heard out of this. <laughs> Chuckle McChuckster. <sighs> I need to move on. <laughs> because I want to talk about some happy things and some great things um, and about stalking beautiful women through telescopes. And then freaking them out with what we saw without their permission, insisting on taking them out without finding out if they are even in a relationship or an engagement. And even after all that creeper effect is in full force, they still stick by when the world is coming down on all sides. Yeah, that's what I got out of the first 20 minutes of this movie. Um, trailer time out, kids. And when we return, it's going to be another shared dead cast experience. The third in the Universal Studios monster movie event of October 1941, The Wolf Man. I really focus on The Wolf Man. It sounded kind of funny how I said that, but whatever. Back in the splat, kids. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. Human beings imagine they are wolf men. According to an old legend which persists in certain localities, the victims actually assume the physical characteristics of the animal. There is a small village near Talbot Castle which still claims to have had gruesome experiences with this supernatural creature. The Wolfman was released December 12, 1941. It had an early preview showing in Los Angeles on December 9th, which was two days after the Pearl Harbor attacks. A little bit of a history tidbit for you. But yeah, so... Wide release, December 12, 1941. It was somewhat of a Christmas release, but a little bit earlier... Uh, the movie, The Wolfman, was directed and produced by George Wagner. 
George Wagner, known more for his TV work than film work, but he did have a few film credits. Uh, 60 directing credits in total, uh, highlights actually being The Wolfman being one, but 10 episodes of Batman from 1966 and seven episodes of The Man from Uncle. Uh, other TV work uh, also included Northwest Passage and The Green Hornet. Now, George was originally a pre-med student. He was going to go into the film, or to the film, the business of medicine. But he dropped out of college to be an actor. And he did get a few roles in silent films and whatnot, but eventually his career acting career I should say faded into screenwriting and then ultimately directing and he does a very good job with this one let's just say that the film the screenplay is written by Kurt Siedmack and he worked on a lot of other horror films actually uh, some that included Black Friday The Ape The Invisible Woman I Walked With a Zombie House of Frankenstein Son of Dracula Creature with the Atom Brain Doom of Dracula, and the 1959 horror anthology series, 13 Demon Street, which was hosted by Lon Chaney Jr. Kurt and his wife also were extras for Fritz Lang's Metropolis. I mentioned that film a couple times. Um, his first solid acclaim, though, to the horror uh, sci-fi genre was The Invisible Man Returns. That's where he helped with the screenplay. I believe it was... Um, ah, I can't remember who the screenplay writer was for that. But it was a friend of his that brought him over from uh, England. 1937, he was living in England. Um, and his friend asked him to come over to the States, help him with the screenplay. And that's how he got started into the Universal Studios films. Uh, Kurt actually was originally from Germany. He moved to England to escape uh, the tyranny of Adolf Hitler. Um, and then eventually he would find his way to the United States, and the rest is history. Cinematography by Joseph Valentine. Sometimes goes by Joseph A. Valentine, but for this he was credited as Joseph Valentine. 77 credits, which included certain films like Night of Terror, Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, Possessed, uh, Rope, and Joan of Arc. Moving on to makeup and special effects. Makeup was done by Jack Pierce. I've talked about him on this show before. Uh, with films like Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Man Who Laughs, Murders in the Rue Morgue, uh, White Zombie, The Old Dark House, and so on and so on. He has 176 credits to his name. Busy Man. The Wolfman might be one of his finest works, though. I think I have to I have to put that one near the top of his resume. Uh, also contributing to the special effects department was John P. Fulton and Ellis Berman. The music for this film, I can actually talk about a score because there was one for this film. Uh, although the score, coincidentally, is the same music from another movie called Man Made Monster. Also came out in 1941. And the music was done by two of the three men involved here. Um, for this film, Hans Salter and Frank Skinner, along with Charles Previn. Charles Previn is the uncle of Andre Previn, who is the German-American pianist, uh, composer, and conductor. Just to give you an idea, because I, I, I couldn't go through all the work they've done. 
Previn has worked in the music department for 394 different films. And Salter and Skinner have 450 credits, each to their names, in terms of film scores and soundtracks and whatnot. Which I might add, for Salter and Skinner, their resume also uh, boasts um, Detroit Rock City. (laughs) To one of their credits, uh, because part of their score from The Creature from the Black Lagoon was actually featured in Detroit Rock City. So they get a credit in that, and I thought that was pretty awesome. Because Detroit Rock City is such a great film. I know, it's campy and cheesy as fuck, but I love that movie. Moving on to our starring cast. And I will try to go through this as fast as I can, but I do want to focus on some key films that a lot of these people were in. Uh, Let's start with Claude Rains. So Claude Rains is Sir John Talbot. He is Larry's father in this film. However, he has a better credit to his name within the Universal Studios monster movies catalog, and that would be The Invisible Man. Claude Rains was The Invisible Man. That's awesome. Our next actor, Warren William, not Universal Studios monsters, but, okay, he plays Dr. Lloyd in this, but his big claim to fame, he was Perry Mason. Before Raymond Burr, he was Perry Mason, and he was Perry Mason in films like The Case of the Howling Dog, uh, The Case of the Lucky Legs. I love that title. I don't know why, it just sounds funny to me. And he was in The Case of the Velvet Claws as Perry Mason. So, so far in this film, we have The Invisible Man, and we have Perry Mason. Uh, Next up, we have Ralph Bellamy as Colonel Paul Muntford. Uh, He's basically one of the investigating detectives on the case of, you know, the death of a man in the woods kind of thing. Um, Ralph Bellamy, he's done a lot of work in thirties and forties and fifties, sixties, whatnot. And I mean, okay, so I'll give him his credit due in like movies like ghost of Frankenstein and Rosemary's baby. But where I actually know Ralph Bellamy best from is the eighties, uh, films like trading places, uh, coming to America, which basically played the same character again. And then he was in this little gem, this little hidden gem from, I think it was 1987, if I remember the year correctly. It starred the rap group, The Fat Boys, a movie called The Disorderlies. And if you've ever seen this movie, it is absolutely fucking hilarious. Uh, Campy, cheesy 80s flick, you know, all the typical comedies from the 80s were, but it just, (laughs) that's where I know Ralph Bellamy from, Trading Places and The Disorderlies. So I get it. He's got this great, wonderful career that spanned. I think he started in like the the early 30s, like 31, 32, something like that. Might have even been before that. But I remember him from the 80s. So I had to I had to mention that. Uh, moving on to, and I'm going to try and get her name right. Uh, Maria Ospenskia. As Maleva, she is the fortune teller, the gypsy fortune teller in this film. She also reprises her role of Maleva in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman a few years later. She only had 25 acting credits, though, but kudos to me. Give me a trophy. I got her name right. Yay! Uh, (laughs) I know. I'm such a moron. I get it. Stupid guy pretends he's smart. We, We know. We know. Moving on to Evelyn Anchors as Gwen Conliffe. Uh, Not her only horror film, actually. She's done uh, a few other ones. 
She was Elsa Frankenstein in The Ghost of Frankenstein, which is a movie that also stars Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., and Ralph Bellamy. So, I mean, she's in common company. She was also in films like Son of Dracula, The Mad Ghoul, The Invisible Man's Revenge, The Frozen Ghost, The Lone Wolf in London, and so on and so forth. She's been in quite a few films. Um, but yeah, she was Elsa Frankenstein. I thought that was kind of cool. She's great in this flick, though. Uh, moving on to Patrick Knowles as Frank Andrews. And he was Will Scarlet in The Adventures of Robin Hood. That's all you need to know. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he was also in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And he was in Terror in the Wax Museum. 126 acting credits to his name. A lot of TV work, though. Did a lot of TV work. He was like a character actor and whatnot. Bella Lugosi as Bella. I'm not, I kid you not, that's the, that's his name. He's Bella the Gypsy. We know him as the Count. He's, he's Count Dracula. But, um, yeah, in this, he, he doesn't stretch very far. Uh, he just basically he's playing himself, uh, but as a gypsy this time. J.M. Kerrigan as Charles Conliffe. 129 acting credits to his name, which include two real big juggernauts I have to mention. Gone with the Wind is one. And 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is the other. Um, so yeah, no no stranger to big name movies. Uh, Faye Helm as Jenny Williams. Uh, she's one of them who quotes that beautiful little poem. Uh, you, you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, she was also in films like The Phantom Lady, Night Monster, and Co Calling Dr. Death. And I, if I remember correctly, she didn't act a lot. She had some acting credits, but it, it, those were the three that I picked out. But I don't think she did a whole lot of acting. I could be wrong on that, though. Um, finally, 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 Lon Chaney Jr. as Lawrence Larry Talbot or the Wolfman. Um, in, this in this film, he's credited as Lon Chaney. The Jr. was dropped, so that we'll call him Lon Chaney as well. Um, Lon Chaney was his father's name. He was actually born Creighton Tullchaney. That was his uh, birth name, but he took on his father's name of Lon afterwards uh, when he got into acting. Uh, acted in 197 films, career spanning from 1922 to 1971. And just to give you a taste of the, the work he's done, he was in films uh, The Galloping Ghost, Secret Agent X-9, of Mice and Men, Billy the Kid, The Ghost of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Tomb, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, Son of Dracula, Calling Dr. Death, Cobra Woman, remember that one for a future tidbit fact, um, The Mummy's Ghost, House of Frankenstein, The Frozen Ghost, House of Dracula, The Mummy's Curse, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, The Black Castle, Fate of the Screaming Werewolf, and and he had an appearance on the Red Skelton Hour Show, like Hour Variety Show. Uh, he was in an episode with Bella Lugosi and Vampira. He was also the only actor to play a character in all four of the classic movie monsters films. So, for example, he was Count Alucard in Son of Dracula, I believe. So he was in a Dracula film. He was in a Frankenstein film. He played the mummy and he played the werewolf. Um, 
Lon Chaney's life came to an end July 12, 1973. He was aged at 67 years old. Like I said, an acting career that spanned from 1922 to 1971, almost 50 full years. So it's a nice full acting career he had. The runtime for this film is 70 minutes. There is no technical rating for this film because it was pre-code, but generally seen as a PG movie due to very mild violence and satanic themes. The budget was 180000 Whereas the gross profits, eh, I couldn't find it anywhere. But let's be honest, this movie's still making money, despite Hollywood saying no movies ever make money. Okay. Anyways, moving on to the synopsis. The synopsis of this film. This scary film. The Wolfman is about... When his brother dies, Larry Talbot returns to Wales and reconciles with his father. While there, he visits an antique shop, and hoping to impress Gwen, the attractive shopkeeper, he buys a silver walking cane. That same night, he kills a wolf with it, only to later learn that he actually killed a man. A gypsy explains that it was her son, a werewolf that he killed, and that Larry is now a werewolf himself. For the next segment, we're calling this When the Wolf's Bane Blooms. Part of that famous poem. There's a poem that's recited like four times in this movie. I mean, let's see. Um, Claude Rains quotes the poem. Uh, Evelyn Ankers quotes the poem. Or Gwen, whatever. Uh, Faye Helm as Jenny. She quotes it. I believe even at one point, even like the gypsy lady, she quotes it. Like it's a poem that keeps coming up over and over in this film. So I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to call the segment uh, where I basically do my review and the trivia and all that. I'm going to call it when the wolf's bane blooms because it gets mentioned so much. It, it's it's just funny. It's almost like I, I, back when I was talking about the Candyman trailer a few episodes ago and I was saying it was like a drinking game. Every time they say Candyman, take a shot, you know, you do it with this poem. Uh, before I get into that, though, I do want to say that one fact about this movie that I've always loved, and this is coming from a guy who's, you know, a, a big dog person and whatnot, uh, the wolf that Larry Talbot fights in this in this movie, the wolf that he kills and whatnot, he doesn't actually kill him, but in the story kills him, uh, was actually Lon Chaney's own pet dog, a German shepherd by the name of Moose. So Moose was uh, not credited in this movie, but we're going to give him his credit. Moose was the, the wolf in the, uh, in the movie. On a sad note, though, I will say that three years later, during the filming of Cobra Woman uh, in 1944, uh, Moose died. He was kind of hit by a truck. And, and I know, a really sad note, but it was something that I thought, well... You know what? Let's let's have a moment of silence for Moose. There's our moment of silence um, because yeah, Moose died, and it's kind of sad. But it's so awesome to know that Lon Chaney got to have a scene in a movie on a screen, you know, with his dog. That that that's a totally awesome thing. Um, which, when you think about this, so originally Lon Chaney wasn't supposed to be Larry Talbot. Originally, Universal uh, was eyeing Boris Karloff for the role. So if that had happened, uh, 
Channy and Moose don't have their scene together. But uh, yeah, well, Boris Karloff was the original plan, and then Dick Ferran was another name that was slated to play the main role. Um, but eventually, in the end, it was Lon Chaney who got the starring cast role. The transformation scene, I will have more on that in a bit, but I do kind of want to just highlight the fact that it was never supposed to be in this movie. Um, it was one of the things that, uh, in the original script, it was left ambiguous. It was the kind of the whole, uh, did it happen in his mind or did it actually happen? Yeah, but it was supposed to have like that effect where you never really knew whether or not it happened. Uh, this is one of those times where studio interferes and it might actually be for the better. Uh, because Universal thought the movie would be more marketable and more appealing if the transformation was actually seen. So they added it into the script, came up with the makeup and effects for it, filmed it, and the rest is history. In terms of that poem, so, even a man who is pure at heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Yes, gets said, like I said, at least three times, if not more, in this movie. Movie that has a runtime of 70 minutes. But anyways, uh, the quote sometimes has been listed uh, by different sources and whatnot. They say it's an, an authentic gypsy or Eastern European folk saying. However, writer Kurt Siodmak, sorry, um, he says he made it up. He says it came off the top of his head. He doesn't know why people say it's an actual folk saying. Um, I will say this after he created it, let's say he created it. That quote was used in every universal film where the Wolfman was in it, but where I know it from where I like, well, I'm most familiar with it is uh, aside from this movie. Of course, it was used at the beginning of cradle of filth's, um, track queen of winter throned from their EP vampire or the dark fairy tales in Palestine. Uh, God, that one's going back. I think it was like 1998 that came out. And yeah, I've always, I, I always love quoting that part right before the song because I can't, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I can sing some of Cradle of Filth songs or I know the words, but not all of them. That one I know somewhat, but yeah, I've always loved the, their intro. I, I'm not even sure. I'm pretty sure it's just Danny Filth that says it and they just did some like vocal shit to him, but he kind of comes off sounding like Doug Bradley a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, as for the silver, the whole idea of the silver bullet, the silver sword, the silver, whatever that can kill the wolf and whatnot. See and Mac, uh, claimed that he created the whole thing up for his screenplay. He took full credit on that. However, um, yeah, according to legends, uh, there, it, the silver thing came up prior, like even before this, um, in a story known as the beast of Gavodin. Uh, dating from the late 19th century. Uh, there's novels as well that, um, you know, had the whole legend appear, uh, you know, with the whole silver bullet thing and whatnot. But the Wolfman itself, the film, was the first of its kind to ever utilize that whole silver myth, the silver, the origin of the silver myth thing on screen. So... To a degree, he's not lying because this was the first movie to ever do that. But in terms of, you know, saying that he completely created it, there are sources that would conflict with that. Now, as for the silver head on Larry's cane that 
kills the wolf? Well, that wasn't silver. Um, it's actually made of rubber. <laughs> so actually, a werewolf can be killed by blunt force beating from rubber. Or a van if your ginger snaps. We'll move on, I know. But let's let's be honest. Okay, between you and I, Ginger Snaps is a great fucking werewolf movie, okay? It's worth mentioning. <laughs> the script for The Wolfman was also influenced um, by uh, Kurt's experiences in Nazi Germany. I did mention that he lived in Nazi Germany and, you know, fled in 1937. Uh, he was living a completely normal life in Germany, um... And then when the Nazis took control in 1933, his whole life was thrown into fucking chaos. Um, as pretty much anybody who lived over there, their life pretty much was. Um, so the the theme of Larry's life, like that he's living this normal life and then it's thrown into chaos and now he's on the run because he becomes a werewolf and everyone's out to get him and stuff like that. There's sort of like this metaphor that feel a lot of people feel that Kurt put into his screenplay, you know, that it's a metaphor for Kurt's life when the Nazis took over. I mean, basically, you know, a good man who is transformed into a vicious killing animal and is now on the run. Um, I don't know that I would call Kurt a vicious killing man, unless there's something we don't know about him, but, um, but yeah, so I guess he took a lot of like his own personal experiences and tried to work that into the screenplay, which if you notice, the majority of good screenplays, good novels, good stories and whatnot, that's usually where it comes from is their own personal experiences. Um, just recently, I was watching uh, The History of Horror, the third episode on psychics, and they were talking about the movie The Shining and how Stephen King based The Shining on his own personal alcoholism bite and how it almost ruined his family. So, I mean, again, you know, it makes perfect sense why it's such a, a great story because it came from personal, like inside stories. You know what I mean? Um, this film marks the first of five appearances for Lon Chaney as the Wolfman, um, out of universal's classic canon of monsters. Chaney is the only actor to portray the same character in all of their sequels. Uh, because uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, all of them, they were not played by the same actor all the time. He is the only one to do that. So now let's sink our teeth into what makes this a worthy movie for a good old ghost host himself like me. You want to do that? Because for starters, okay, I'm doing this. Because it's my podcast and I can. My starting point is Evelyn Anchors. And yes, okay. She's gorgeous. Let's just say that. Let's start off with the obvious. The woman is gorgeous. I mean, even as a youngster, I remember I saw this movie. Jeez, I had to have been. I'm going to say I was at least 10 or 11. I might have even been a bit younger, but see, I, it seems to me it was about that. I know I saw it after Return of the Jedi, which is, is a weird thing that I'm using here as a scale, but. Uh, that was 83 and I was eight years old. So I'm going to say it was about 10 or 11 when I saw this for the first time and I had a crush on her. And it's the same with Zita Johan from, you know, the mummy as well. Like both, both women totally had my attention as a young kid. I was like, oh, they're gorgeous. But aside from that, let's move past my, you know, horny tendencies and whatnot. 
And let's look at also the fact that Evelyn Anchors, aside from her being gorgeous, she was someone who um, you have to admire her patience, her stamina, and determination, both on screen and off. And I say that because she did not have an easy go of making this movie at all, uh, especially during this film, because her and Lon Chaney did not have the best working relationship for this film. Um, Chani, okay, he kind of fucked up. He, uh, had his, his, I guess he had his own special dressing room. Well, they gave it to her. And the reason why was because he was some dumb drunk who, you know, decided to trash studio property and the studio said, okay, we'll punish you for it. We're going to give you this tiny little, uh, dressing room and she's getting yours. So out of retaliation, he basically verbally harassed her. He called her a shanker, which back then I guess was a term meant that would mean backstabber. Um, and he thought it, it, it constantly throughout the whole filming, he thought it would be funny to sneak up behind her and scare her. He tried to figure out different scare tactics to see how much he could scare the crap out of her and whatnot. So she had that off screen, then on screen. Let's talk about this for a minute, guys. Okay. <laughs> Cause you looking at this through 2021 eyes. Okay. So we have Larry Talbot here. We have a dude who, uses a telescope unintentionally i'll give him that but he uses a telescope to spy on her in her room in her private bedroom her fault for leaving the curtains open but anyways he's checking her out through a telescope then he hunts her down in town he finds out where she works and he goes straight to there it's this antique shop and he walks into this antique shop and okay he's got her where she can't run She's at work, so she can't run out. So now you have a dude who has stalked a girl through a telescope, found out where she works, shows up at her workplace knowing she can't run away, and then he's constantly and relentlessly hitting on her, beat after beat after beat. And then he makes comments about her earrings, the the moon earrings with the, the bangles on them. And she's like, wait, how do you know about that? And he's like, I'm psychic. Bullshit, you're psychic. No, you're a fucking creeper is what you are. And... He insists he wants her to go up to her room and get them. And I mean, like, seriously, as a woman, like, you're not, you can't, te- as a guy, even, you can't tell me this won't freak you the fuck out. You're like, wait, what? How, why is all of this happening all of a sudden, you know? So he has invaded her personal space and he's insisting that she go and get these earrings. She says, no, they're not for sale. He refuses to take no for an answer. And then he starts asking her out over and over and over because you're going to go out with me because you're going to go out with me because you're going to go for a walk with me. You're going to do this with me. And she keeps saying no. He never asks her, do you have a boyfriend? Are you engaged? Are you married? And none of that. No, he just he insists he's going to win this woman's heart and he's going to do it in the most creeper fucking way possible. (laughs) And I'm like. Okay, I get it. We live in very sensitive times in 2021. This kind of shit today, he'd get the death penalty for. Exaggeration, I get it. But it's like, wow, you have to admit his approach to trying to attract women, uh, attract her attention, this beautiful woman's attention, is like rather aggressive. I mean, even in 1941, I'm sorry, but that's just, it's a little too much, okay? <laughs> like, And I mean, like I said, th- th- that's what I got from the beginning of this fucking movie it's like wow dude and granted 10 year old me that's in love with you know evelyn anchors for the first time when i see this movie i'm like dude's the fucking mac but now as i'm older and i'm watching this movie differently and i'm like wow 
that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> but I mean, I, on top of it all, like a badass trooper, she still managed, even though she's got off-screen and on-screen antagonizing, she still pulls off a great performance like a badass trooper that she is, despite all the shenanigans and all the bullshit. And you would never know that there was actually tension between her and Lon Chaney. And let's talk about him for a minute. Like, I mean, despite, okay, his some off-screen troubles and antics and whatnot. We'll forgive him because, let's be honest, this is a performance for the ages. Both him and Evelyn are acting their asses off and beautifully in this. And I mean, like, he does such a great job with this role. And retroactively, we can see why this just might be that role that made him a household name. You know, like the name that he's become. I, it's It's a wonderful, wonderful performance. I mean... The exchange between him and the gypsy lady when he finds out that he killed her son and he's like, no, I can't take this. Like, it, you're all crazy. And why is everyone after me? And this, it, it's, it's such a great heartfelt performance. And I mean, you almost have to feel bad for him because all he thought he was doing when he was in the woods, he just figured he was protecting Jenny. It's all he meant to do against this wolf that's attacking her and the next thing you know his his whole life is turned upside down now he's got the authorities after him he's got you know his his own family think like you know like his father keeps saying well he needs to stay with me he's sick they think he's like turning mentally ill or something and it's like wow like it's just it's a, a very sympathetic or you know we we feel that empathy of that character it's such and he portrays it so well between the two of them like both of them deserve awards for their performances in this film maybe i'm being a little too biased but i think they do both evelyn and lon chaney jr or lon chaney wonderful wonderful performances and then not to take away from him but we do owe a bit of that credit as well to jack pierce and his fine work on the makeup and transformation scene <sighs> Let's put it out there right now. Yes, we all know. American Werewolf in London has the all-time epitomic transformation sequence ever. It, nobody's ever going to beat it. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what era it is. I don't care if it's 100 years from now. No one is ever going to top that fucking scene. That is, without a doubt, the best werewolf transformation sequence ever. Full stop, period. Don't even with me, as the illiterate generation says today. But anyways... But in 1941, this transformation sequence that takes place in this film, and yeah, we only see the feet, but it's awesome. It's awesome, especially for 1941. That was something they had never seen up to that point. And then there is the reverse transformation sequence where we see his face and you see it slowly that the hair disappears and he turns from wolf back to man. We see that later on. That's awesome. So you have Lon Chaney's performance. You have Pierce's makeup effects. This would go on to be classified as one of the all-time great werewolf movies. There are people today in 2021 that still say this is the best werewolf movie. Full movie there is. It's a cut above the rest. Again, another Ice Nine Kills reference. But <laughs> for me personally... Best werewolf movie ever until 1982, that is. I gotta stick I gotta stick with American Werewolf in London. But much like previous episodes where I've talked about Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Mummy, the Wolfman, 
Channy's Wolfman has inspired decades of werewolves, wolfmen, wolfwomen, lycanthropes. It's iconic. It's right up there with Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Mummy. It, it, even in, as they did, even inspired its own cereal, Fruit Brute. Um, it's inspired remakes and reboots. Um, supposedly, a new one is on the way with Ryan Gosling attached to play the lead role. And Lee Winnell and Jason Bloom have apparently, uh, they're attached to the project as well. Jason Blum is producing, and I believe Lee Winnell is either doing screenplay or helping with directing, but I believe it's screenplay for him. Uh, in 2010, Benicio Del Toro was the lead in Joe Johnston's version. Eh, didn't do so hot at the box office, though, uh, but did win for Best Makeup at the Academy Awards. No sequel was greenlit from that one, though, despite one being considered at one point. And there was the movie Werewolf, The Beast Among Us in 2012. Originally, it was planned to be a a spin-off story of the 2010 film, but in the end, they just scrapped that idea and let it be its own thing. Overall, though, this 1941 original film is beloved by many. There's very little negative ever seen anywhere for this film. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 90% approval rating. Uh, IMDb at 7.3 out of 10. Leonard Moulton awarded the film 3.5 out of 4 stars, calling it one of the finest horror films ever made. Uh, he also praised the makeup effects, the atmospheric music, and obviously Chani's performance. The podcast zero rating is like this. This film, while it has a bit of a weird beginning, the whole stalker thing, a little too much, this movie ends in amazing fashion, uh, leaving the audience feeling sympathy and relief when the runtime has expired. Lon Chaney is wonderful in this, as is Evelyn Anchors. They're the two that I always seem to go with, but I should note Claude Rains, Ralph Bellamy, um, Maria Ospenskia, um, they're fantastic in this as well. Um, and I know I, I probably have skipped over them as I did this review, but due to the emphasis I really wanted to put on, you know, our two leads basically and the special effects for this film. Um, but the whole cast overall is phenomenal. I, I read somewhere where somebody actually said, this movie was like a B movie with an A list casting, and in their heart, they still see it as an A movie. And I think that's the best way to describe it, honestly. Yes, it's a B movie, I guess you would look at it that way, but it's definitely in terms of production and just story and everything, it's an A movie, really. The music is atmospheric and very 90s, 1940s esque, is what I was kind of thinking it had that feel like but i have no issues with its dated sound and i don't mean dated as in the negative like having negative connotation either like i like that it has that feel to it i don't want this movie to feel modern i know that sometimes you know we'll we'll really release these older movies and we'll we'll you know remaster or rescore the film or i i prefer you just leave the original especially when it comes to these classic films uh, the special effects for their time are great. The makeup is iconic and wonderful. Uh, I love how... <laughs> uh, here we go. Here's my sarcasm at its finest. I love how before he changes, Larry is wearing a white tank top. But once changed, he's a sharp-dressed wolf in all-black attire. 
whereas werewolves today shed their clothing as they transform, he chooses to put more clothes on and attract the ladies. Uh, fantastic. Overall rating for this film, I give it 8 Howls at the Moon out of 10. I think it is, while not one of my all-time favorites, it is definitely up there. As, as, as I love quoting lately, it's a cut above the rest. No, but um, honestly... If it, let's put it this way. If we lived in a world where American Werewolf in London didn't exist, this would be my ultimate favorite right here. This would be the top of the crop. Nothing would beat it. But unfortunately, I'm just way too partial to that American Werewolf in London. So this always gets the second notch. And on that note, you know what? I'm so glad you guys came back and listened to another episode. Thank you for listening, guys. Um... I've said it before on this show and I really want to highlight it again because it's something that is really making me feel good lately about the show is that I've now had another episode go over a hundred downloads and I know it's, to some shows that's like, you know, chump change. That's they get that in the first 30 seconds they upload. But for me personally, that's awesome and really makes me feel good that there's a little bit of a demand for this show which is pretty cool actually especially being sometimes i can say some pretty off color shit and people still come back so i appreciate that thank you um it's really awesome i have one last universal studio monster movie to go before this event will end uh i really also want to thank you all for coming like and listening to these episodes it's the first time I've ever actually done this where I've gone a full month talking about just one specific era of films and it's been kind of cool I'm looking forward to just branching out and picking random films again and whatnot and doing listener requests and stuff but this has been a lot of fun and I got one left and I'm looking forward to it I'll I'll, I'll quickly say this uh, you know where to find the show it's on many major podcast streaming apps nowadays uh, Spotify, Apple, Google Amazon FM Player, Audible Podbean, Podcast Addict the list goes on, there's a lot of them out there Uh, I believe I even recently heard that the show is on Deezer, I don't know if it actually is but I think someone told me that anyways, that's pretty cool Um, in terms of social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pretty much the only three you'll ever see this show on, Uh, i not the biggest fan of social media as you all are aware of at this point uh, but I, I don't mind using those three even Twitter as much as I kind of don't really care for it I don't mind posting on there and seeing what's going on in the horror world as long as it sticks within the horror genre on my feed I'm pretty much happy so facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and twitter at wlb podcast zero uh, next episode is here we go the final one I think I've already mentioned it actually before but I'll mention it again the final episode in the Universal Studio Monsters movie event for October is dun, 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 the creature from the Black Lagoon uh, yeah that's what I'm doing for my final one um, might also add that uh, well, it was recently uh, Julie Adams birthday Julie Adams, who is from Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, uh, it was recently her birthday. I thought we should mention that. Uh, also, happy anniversary to Reanimator. 
Reanimator had its uh, anniversary, I believe it was today, October, well, October 18th. You're getting this the 19th, so, but, um, yeah. So that's that. Uh, what else, what else, what else? What else stupid could I say before I end this show? Oh, uh, this show is sponsor- not sponsored by Pepsi. Um, <laughs> anyways, okay, I'll do what you do. You need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're breathtaking. You're all breathtaking. <laughs>